Welcome to the To Faithful Men podcast. This project started in 2006 to preserve old sermon and study tapes of Wiley Flanagan, Hassel Wallace, and Mike Strevel. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. We need to uh, review uh, just a moment with reference to the uh, systems of interpretation. Uh, Whatever a person uh, says revelation means, he will reach his conclusion, if he's systematic at all, on the basis of one of the uh, four chief uh, ways of interpretation. And that is interpreted by the preterist method, which says that everything in the book of Revelation has already been fulfilled, uh, except the last uh, chapters, the, uh, the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, and uh, of course, that was, uh, uh, th- that theory was advanced by a Catholic priest who uh, sought to take uh, to take the uh, criticism of Catholicism uh, to, to do away with that uh, the Protestant uh, criticism uh, in other words uh, up to that time uh, the Bible uh, revelation had been interpreted as uh, uh, historical uh, on a historical m- basis and uh, that method identifies uh, the pagan Rome and papal Rome as the objects of the entire book. Uh, therefore, in have, instead of uh, this Catholic priest didn't want Catholics to be charged with being that Antichrist in chapter 13, he didn't want them to be charged as that whore that sits upon the seven mountains, you see. And so uh, that theory was invented to say it was all uh, taken, all fulfilled in in the past, in the distant past. It takes it beyond the the days of Constantine. Uh, well, then there's another theory that says that uh, the we're to interpret the entire book of Revelation. Uh, especially chapters 6 through 18 on a historical, consecutive, uh, continuous basis. Now, <clears throat> that means that uh, chapter 6, the first seal, had its beginning in apostolic times. In the in apostolic age, the first century of the Christian era, and during the pagan uh, uh, rule of Rome. And then each consecutive event, great historical event, is uh, follows in the book of Revelation uh, on that basis. Then there's another historical uh, view that says uh, uh, that all of these, instead of happening, occurring consecutively and continuously, one event after the other, that is, Seal one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then trumpet one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and the bowls 
continuing uh, in historical and chronological order, the continuous or synchronous historical view says that all of the seals, all of the trumpets, and all of the vial or bowl judgments occur simultaneously uh, or nearly simultaneously. And uh, so that when the sixth seal, uh, seventh seal actually is fulfilled, you really have in time the seventh trumpet being fulfilled. And when the seventh trumpet is fulfilled, you have the seventh bowl fulfilled. And that brings you to uh, the 17th chapter. And, and the chapter 17 and 18 is a fulfillment, I mean a greater uh, description of uh, God's judgment upon Rome and upon the papacy, uh, upon the Antichrist, if uh, whatever the position person takes. In other words, whether it's a system, whether it's a country, a nation, the Antichrist is a whole empire, uh, and with a figurehead representative, or whether it's a personal Antichrist. See, the chapter 17 uh, and 18 describes the fall of Babylon. And uh, so the that is religious system, political and civil governments and everything. Uh, then there's the, of course, the uh, idealist uh, view is the view that interprets the uh, uh, book of Revelation on the basis of its symbols, what its symbols mean, and that it has nothing to do with date. It has nothing to do with the time past. It, uh, with dates in time past or with dates in the future. It simply is a study of, uh, uh, of contrasting the principles and a record of the holy war versus uh, the satanic, uh, Satan and his kingdom. It's Christ and his kingdom against Satan and his kingdom uh, and our righteousness against unrighteousness and it's a war of principles. And it can apply to any age, any time, without being uh, ascribing it to pagan Rome or papal Rome or to uh, a revived Roman Empire or whatnot. See, it's just the fact that uh, in the end, God's rule and righteousness is going to reign. Uh, then there's the futurist system that says that uh, the from uh, chapter uh, 6 on is uh, a record that's uh, a description of events that will occur in the distant future on uh, down in the latter almost at the last days there are two groups of the futurist uh, system the dispensationalist says that all of the events in the book of Revelation, from 6 to 18, chapter 6 through chapter 18, uh, will occur after the rapture of the church, what they call the church. They mean by the church, they mean all of God's people everywhere. All right? In other words, that event must come before chapter 6, verse 1 takes place. So, uh, we, uh, according to them, we're living at the end of the third chapter of Revelation, where the uh, in the church in in the age of Laodicea, they tell us, they tell us that the seven churches uh, represent seven consecutive periods of time, 
and Laodicea is the last period of time, the last age of the present order of things. And that when uh, Christ comes, the church will be raptured, and that will occur at Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, of course, the, they admit that Revelation doesn't say anything about the rapture, but they believe that that's when it occurs. And therefore, chapter 4 and chapter 5 is a vision of the throne of God, God uh, uh, being described by the uh, precious stones, and then uh, the book in his hand taken by the Lamb, the Son of God, and he uh, is worthy on the basis of the fact that he died, that, uh, that he ransomed men out of every nation, kindred and tongue, see, to himself. And uh, so that he is a lamb and the lion of the tribe of Judah. We noticed that uh, where it says that he was the uh, offspring and the root of David. Well, now that's two things. The offspring means that Jesus came out of David's descendants, see, through his lineage. But being the root of David, he is the begetter of David. David came from the him. See, the root, what bears, uh, he puts David as the branch, as the stem. See, when you say the root, when he was the root of David, talking about Christ, he, he's, uh, David uh, existed because of Christ. But when you say he's uh, Christ is the offspring of David, you're talking about the virgin birth. You're talking about his humanity. The root, you're talking about the deity of Christ, the everlastingness of Christ, the eternal sonship of Christ. All right, uh, so uh, John saw that uh, vision uh, in chapter 4 and 5. And uh, now chapter 6 uh, deals with the seals. Now, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, the, se the book is sealed with seven seals, and the book is not opened until the seventh seal uh, is broken. You don't just break a one seal and read a paragraph in the book because it's a scroll rolled up and has seven seals on it. And you can't even unroll it till all of the seven seals are, are broken. All right. Now, whatever we, uh, the, whatever a person decides or reaches, whatever conclusion he comes to with reference to that book, what is in that book? Uh, because the book of Revelation is going to unfold that book. And it's going to be the destiny of God's people and the destiny of the world. It's going to record the future events, the, uh, the conditions of life upon this earth until the coming of the Son of God in chapter 19, verse 11. Now, uh, nearly all will admit uh, that it has to do with the events of this world. But uh, the great problem is this. The futurist system that says that these things are going to occur after Christ comes back uh, uh, tell us uh, that, uh, the, uh, uh, that these events uh, cannot occur until the rapture. And when, when the uh, rapture takes place, we'll uh, begin to see seal one, two, and three uh, in consecutive order because they believe that, that it's consecutive just like 
uh, the seven churches. Well, uh, the uh, uh, then there's a futurist system uh, that says that uh, that interprets the Book of Revelation on a premillennial from a premillennial standpoint that uh, these events will occur prior to the uh, Revelation uh, 19 level. In other words, everything in uh, from chapter 6 through 18 must take place before Christ comes back to the earth. See, whereas the dispensationalist says uh, all of it takes place after Christ comes back. So you see, whatever you, what, uh, whatever a person's view is, if he's a dispensationalist, well, then the premillennialist can't go along with him. You see, I mean, he can't get a uh, because he ha- has all these things fulfilled before uh, we say they start to. See, we say the rapture occurs in the uh, in the nineteenth chapter of Revelation. They say the rapture occurs in the fourth chapter. So. Uh, uh, well, now then, there's there's four other systems uh, that affect the interpretation of the seals, and from here on, and that's the uh, what is known as uh, postmillennialism, amillennialism, and uh, dispensationalism and premillennialism. It's almost the same as these uh, four. Uh, they're very akin. Right, the postmillennialist says that the uh, the little book contains uh, God's plan and purpose for the church in evangelizing the world. That it is the, uh, it's the commission, it's the working orders uh, for the church. And they are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And in so doing, they'll evangelize uh, almost completely the world. And the world will become a righteous place to live. Peace and prosperity will reign. Then Christ will come back. Uh, so now we'll, in the very first seal, we'll, uh, uh, you, you have, it's just the opposite. Uh, whatever, uh, whatever premillennialist says about it, the postmillennialist says it's just the op- means the opposite thing, see. And whatever the, uh, amillennialist says, uh, about war in uh, in the seals, the postmillennialist says uh, again contradicts them just as they do because uh, amillennialists and premillennialists are uh, have the same idea uh, concerning uh, the uh, the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth and seventh seals. We differ on the first seal. There is a lot of difference on the first seal, and the first seal, however you interpret the first seal, will position you with reference to the different systems and and also uh, will color uh, the millennial aspect of Revelation. And that's the reason why if a person knows chapter 4 and chapter 5 uh, with reference to the book, because that book not only has the judgments of God upon the earth, and upon the world, the final judgments. But it also, uh, according to our conception, according, according to the premillennialist, is that uh, it contains God's purpose for the kingdom of God. 
uh, and will consummate his salvation in the in the in the earth. In other words, we believe that uh, that God's purpose of salvation uh, is signified in chapter seven in the sealing of the 144,000 and in the sealing of the great multitude because the mission of the angel there was forbidden uh, to let loose the wind, see, until God had sealed the 144,000 and the great multitude. In other words, by that, we, we believe that God is going to save people right on up to the very minute that he comes back to this earth. Whereas the dispensationalist says that when Christ comes uh, for his church at the rapture, all of the saved will be taken out. The only people who will be left on the earth is wicked men. But God will... Uh, seal this 144,000 which are Jews to preach the gospel and that uh, and after the Holy Spirit has been taken out of the world the 144,000 are commissioned to preach the gospel uh, during the seven years of tribulation so the whole uh, system of interpretation uh, or whatever person believes he will believe it with reference to his position of the rapture and the tribulation. Um, the dispensation says the tribulation will not occur until after God's people are caught up. Uh, the premillennialist says that God's people will remain upon the earth, many of whom will suffer and even suffer martyrdom. And yet uh, God will uh, will preserve a remnant, a people, even up to his coming. And uh, so with that, uh, uh, we will read the first verse. Now, in the first four seals, there are the four horsemen. And there are four things that uh, uh, you need to notice. That the, there are four horses four colors of horses, four different riders, and four missions, four different purposes. You need to, uh, because the, the color uh, of the rider, a color of the horse, uh, is indicative of something. And uh, then the his equipment, what are his, uh, uh, what, uh, how is he equipped? What's he equipped with? His warfare. Is he is he a warrior? Uh, see what he has to fight with, and so on. All right. In the uh, <clears throat> very first uh, uh, verse, he says, "And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, uh, the, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four living creatures saying." Come and see. Now, as I reminded you uh, last time that uh, uh, a revised version uh, or some other version other than the King James is it's, uh, very necessary to consult uh, them with reference to some words. And here's uh, a very 
uh, noticeable incident of it. The last two words of chapter of verse one says, and see, come and see. Well, if the and see is genuine, should be in the text, it's a call to John to come and see. But John is already there. The and see is not in uh, the uh, the best uh, uh, text, and uh, so uh, we uh, we strike that we leave that off and uh, read it this way. And one of the uh, four living creatures uh, cried with a uh, with a noise of thunder, saying, "Come!" Now, who's he talking to? Different theorists says that some say he's talking to Christ, for Christ to come. That this word come is a cry, uh, like come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Uh, come all ye the thirst, you know. In other words, they make it an invitation, and they also make it a, a, a plea and a petition for God, for Christ to return, to come back to the earth. In other words, it's a cry of, uh, God's people upon the earth, uh, suffering, and then also of just joy and anticipation, desiring Christ to come back. Uh, Henry Alford, uh, Dean Alford, uh, is one of the best well-known men that champions that theory. Uh, but I don't believe that's what he's talking about. I don't think it's a call for Christ to come. I don't think it's a call for John to come, because John was already there. Uh, four times this angel, uh, one of the living, uh, uh, beings, one of the angels in heaven, uh, says to come. Well, uh, you're gonna have to assume that John, uh, if he's talking to John, he came the first time, and then he receded, he went back, he disappeared. And the angel wanted to show John something, well, John, come back here, where'd you go? Come back. And uh, tell him, come and see, I want to show you something else. It's not that idea. I don't think it could get John away in vision. John was there in vision. And so what this means, as I understand the scripture, is a call to the rider on the horse. Because when he says, come, why, immediately the, uh, the first seal, the white horse, the rider on the white horse comes forth, see? And then it describes it. So we have a call uh from uh one from the first uh beast living creature because that word beast is means uh, a living being you, actually you could say angel be a lot easier uh for it's some person it's some as a person as a creature of god one of the heavenly hosts somebody cherubim seraphim or a special angel or what not some heavenly being that uh, and not a human being. He's not a redeemed of the earth, but he's an angel of God. And uh, he says, when he opened one of the seals, he said, I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. Now, this is the only time that the word thunder is mentioned. The rest of the times in opening the seals, he just, uh, the angel said, come. But no particular reference is made to thunder. Uh, as to the noise, as to the sound of his voice. Uh, 
And he says, And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, <clears throat> here you have uh, the color of the horse, white. You have him riding a horse, not a, uh, not an ass, not a beast of burden, not a camel, not a, um, but a, but a horse, uh, which signified, uh, a war. Now war, uh, in the Bible does not always mean evil. Uh, God makes war. The people of God made war, waged the whole of wars, waged war against, uh, their enemies, see? And God commanded them and God reproved them and rebuked them for not uh, uh, completely uh, subduing their enemies, see? Uh, so uh, uh, the horse uh, symbolized war. The color, uh, I think, signifies the type of war that uh, this rider uh, makes. Now, uh, the dispensationalist, because he believes that the all of God's people now there's none on the earth when he, when this rider rides forth, see. So he's got to interpret this passage, this rider, to mean a, a wicked king, a wicked man, a, a conqueror, uh, making war. Uh, and, but it will be up on the earth because uh, none of God's people here to wage war of any sort, righteous or on uh, holy or unholy war, according to their theory. All right. Uh, but now, this writer had a crown uh, was given unto him, and he went forth conquering, and to conquer. Now that means that, uh, uh, brother, uh, he he not only uh, wanted uh, to win a battle. But he win it. When a man conquering to conquer means that he's successful. And uh, so, uh, let me uh, let me give you uh, a description here of this uh, uh, of the uh, uh, what people say about this. Now, the <coughs> the Antichrist, the dispensationalist, says it's quite. Uh, this white horse, the rider on the white horse, is, represents the Antichrist, the beast of chapter 13, the Roman emperor. Uh, and that he's the one, he's the same as the beast uh, in Revelation uh, 7, uh, I mean Daniel 7. He's the uh, little horn, uh, and he's a wicked king that will uh, subdue the earth. He'll reign. He'll be the worldwide dictator. But he comes uh, not as a man of war. He comes under pretense of righteousness. He comes as a lamb. See, but he speaks as a dragon. Uh, he's he's a deceiver. Uh, now that's the dispensational view uh, of the writer. Now, <clears throat> but that view. Uh, to me, 
doesn't do justice to the color uh, that's symbolized here. Each one of these horses, that you have a white, red, black, and a pale horse. Now, if it wasn't, if it didn't signify something, if something is not shown us by the color of their horses, see, well, then you, uh, uh, it seems like that there'd be a, a lot missing. Because the, the second horse, red, is certainly war, bloodshed. The third horse, black, famine. And the fourth uh, horse is a pale, uh, uh, it's the color of death, see. Man's just about, to, and, and that's what happened. The rider is death. So, uh, well, uh, in Revelation, uh, in, in, in the entire book, you'll find that, uh, that white signifies, uh, righteousness, holiness. It, it is something, uh, uh, that's, uh, highly, one, if, if a, a person receives it, he's highly favored. If it's a description of God, it points out his eternalness. Now, like uh, in chapter 1, in verse 14, Christ is seen as uh, white hair, see, showing his uh, eternalness. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 17, we had a white stone was given to the overcomer, see. In chapter 3, uh, verse 4, Verse 5 and verse 18, three different times, you, uh, uh, white garments are given to the overcomer or to, to a heavenly being. Then in uh, uh, the fourth chapter, verse 4, the, uh, the 24 elders are clothed in white. And these 24 elders are somebody that is in heaven. So it's a heavenly color. And then in this chapter, verse, uh, uh, verse 11, uh, white robes were given under every one of them, talking about the souls under the altar, see? And then in chapter 7, verse 9 and verse 13, speaking of the uh, 144,000 and the, uh, and the great multitude, that that number were clothed, that great number was clothed in white robes, in, in white garments, see. All right. Then in, uh, uh, chapter 14, verse 4, the Son of Man is seen on a white cloud. In chapter 19, verse 11, uh, Jesus comes back to the earth riding a white horse. See, and then in the 20th chapter, verse 11. Now, all of these are references in the book of Revelation. And they emphasize the word white. There, the final, final instance is uh, before God on the white, sitting on the white throne. See. All right. Now, so we have uh, white used with reference to righteousness, to holiness to a reward, to uh, to victory, to the overcomer, and to crowns, you see, showing that they had overcome, all right? So, 
uh, in harmony with this is the entire uh, 24th chapter Matthew and the 13th chapter Mark. Uh, you read uh, in, in the Lord's uh, Olivet Discourse, he says now, uh, these are the beginnings of woes, or the beginning of sorrows, but the end is not yet, see. In other words, uh, but uh, the time hadn't come. And then he says, but for nations shall rise against nations, see, and family against family, and so on. But these are just the beginning of sorrows. All right? Uh, I'm saying that this, uh, that the white, the rider on the white horse, seal one, represents the proclamation of the gospel by God's people upon the earth. That, In other words, uh, the, this is uh, the uh, uh, God's people. God has a people. He and that people uh, are going to be uh, uh, brought out and sealed and numbered and, uh, and preserved. See, I mean, that's a teaching of the Bible as a whole. And uh, so uh, the Lord says, and uh, Jesus himself said in 24th chapter Matthew, except those days, he talked about, uh, except those days, the tribulation days, be shortened, no flesh would be saved. Well, uh, uh, the God's plans and God's purposes for his people uh, are not going to be uh, thwarted are offset or overrun by uh, the warriors on the red horse or um, the famine on the black horse or death on the pale horse. So here, the first seal uh, represents uh, the kingdom of God. They're God's people. See, In other words, you have a white, uh, it's not Christ himself riding the horse, uh, but it's representing the righteousness of Christ, the uh, righteousness of God, the work of God, uh, the, and, uh, and that's what the church will be doing up until he comes back riding the white horse in chapter 19. And uh, otherwise you have nothing. If this seal does not depict uh, God's people, their, their faithfulness and uh, loyalty, uh, to to God, there's nothing in the book at all that shows uh, the character of the children of God during the tribulation period or during the end of the age. If there's no tribulation period, and the dispens and the Amillennialist says there is no tribulation period, no none of any significance. It's just the normal uh, time. All right. Therefore, if seal one does not describe God's people, see, and pertain to their conquest, and that in the end that they're going forth to conquer and to conquer. Why? Because they're going to live and reign with Christ on this earth. All right, that's seal one. There's a lot of different ideas and about it that could could be could be given. The uh, cons the consecutive historical school makes the writer the Roman emperor, uh, and makes them the uh, Nerva, uh, Trajan, Hadrian, and the two Antones. And uh, Gibbon 
says that this was their golden age. Uh, now, here was a man that wrote the history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. All right, now, if you're going to interpret uh, this book on the consecutive historical uh, point of view, well, then they would have to find in the rider of the white horse something that depicts prosperity and righteousness in the days when pagans were, when the emperors of Rome were pagans. Uh, or they'll have to bring it down a little further to the emperors when uh, under the influence of, of papal Rome. So um, uh, then the synchronous historical school says that the first seal, uh, the white horse rider, uh, is the same as the white horse rider in Revelation 19. Uh, but now, I don't, uh, I don't uh, see uh, the, uh, there's the only thing that's in common, the only thing that's said in the first seal in, uh, that's in agreement with the uh, rider of the white horse in the 19th chapter is the white horse, the color of the horse. Uh, now, the rider of the white horse in uh, first seal had a different kind of crown than the rider uh, in the 19th chapter. He has diadems in the 19th chapter, and many of them. And the rider of the white horse in the first seal uh, has a Stephanos crown, a crown of victory. It's a garland. It's just just made out of a a bunch of roses tied uh, strong together, put around the man or upon his head, see. Whereas the other denoted royalty, rank, and so on. All right. Then uh, the post-millennialist uh, says that uh, that the white horse, uh, the rider on the white horse, represents uh, the preaching of the gospel uh, going forth to conquer uh, the world. And he's going to conquer the world by preaching the gospel and that every lost person uh, is going to be saved. See, uh, that is not every in the absolute sense, but uh, where it'll be insignificant. The ones that will uh, are not converted, not evangelized, that number will be insignificant. Uh, so uh, now you see how that would flavor everything from here on out in the book of Revelation. If a man says this white horse rider, that's the first one now, and this is the unfolding of history. History is fixing, the future is being unfolded, and the first thing you're going to see is a picture uh, that signifies that the gospel is going to conquer paganism, uh, papal Rome, every form of heresy, and that righteousness is going to reign. For the postmillennialist says, Righteousness must reign before Christ will come back. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with a friend. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.